recap before I read the scripture for today. Uh, last week we looked at Luke chapter 16, the parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, and, and just want to share with you something that came to me this week. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, the, 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 the verse, I mean the chapter before chapter 16, Jesus talked about the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the emphasis there was the importance of, of sharing or reaching the one. How Jesus is after the one as much as he's after the multitude. And how he cares about the one. And he will leave the 99 for the one. And he talked about what happens in heaven when the one person repents. Check, the, check this out. Luke chapter 15, verse number 7. I tell you that in the same way, this is after one of the parables, I think it was the coin or, or the lost coin or the lost sheep. He said this, I tell you that in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Did we get that? What gets heaven throwing a party, this is the only place in the Bible we see what gets heaven moving and having a party. It's when a sinner repents and comes to the kingdom of God. I, I physically saw this in a vision when I came to the Lord. I didn't understand what I was seeing there, but later on I saw and I read it here. So Jesus in the presiding chapter, in the context, he's talking about how to win or how he loves it when people come to him. And then he shares how we can use our earthly resources to invest in kingdom work that will win friends for the kingdom of God. You see, what heaven cares about is salvation. What heaven sees as the most important thing is getting this good news out to as many people as we can. And guess who will be doing that? Not angels. He entrusted this awesome task to his children. And we are ambassadors of Christ to represent his kingdom. Just thought I should share that with you. But he instructed the shrewd manager. Uh, I mean, he instructed his disciples. You know, the world, they're very shrewd. They're smart. They think about their future. They work hard because they believe YOLO. Like this world is it. You only live once. There is no afterlife. Therefore, they work hard. They grind. They get businesses. They do a lot of things to think about their future. He said, they're shrewd, but not the people of the light. He said, you guys need to be more brighter. Think that your life is not it. Your law is not, the, you know, this philosophy didn't just come in our generation. It existed. The Greeks popularized this, uh, this philosophy. The Sadducees sect, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead and therefore believed that this world is it. But we know there is life after death. Amen? So we, we need to be wise with how we use our resources to invest in what is in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to read my assignment for today. Is in the book of Haggai. Haggai is uh, one of the minor prophets. It's a powerful book, and, and this word has been stirring in my heart since we started fasting and prayer, and, and I encourage you to come as well for the, for the fasting and prayer. But this word is what the Lord has been. I've just been praying on this, and I thought I should share it with you, and, and this is part seven of the God Over Everything series, and, and I I'm, and I'm really believe the Lord will speak to you. So open your heart to receive his word. Let's read the word of the Lord. I'll read Haggai chapter one, verse one to four, and then we'll pray and start. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. That's how often God works and speaks in our life. God works, God speaks, but he does it through people. The Bible says when Paul went in a certain city, 
evangelizing the gospel. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God did it. He he does it through us. Amen? We don't take the credit. That's why we sing. Not to us, but to your name. All the glory, all the praise goes to you. I don't do anything. I cannot perform any miracles. God is a miracle working God. I simply am a vessel to say he is a miracle working God. So he brought a message through the prophet Haggai to who? To Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltal, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is the word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses? The NLT says luxurious houses while this house remains a ruin. That's my assignment today in the book of Haggai. And I'll be going through this book. So let's pray and give this moment to God. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge the beauty of your word. We, we, we acknowledge that your word is a double-edged sword. It can penetrate into the deepest hearts, uh, into the hardest hearts. It can break the hardest ground, Lord. And I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that your word will be effective in every heart this afternoon. And whoever may be watching online, that we will take heed to your word, Lord. And I thank you in advance for what you're about to do on this very day. We give you all the glory. Speak in this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the year 1445 BC, God, we know in the history of the Israelites, he delivered his people from the, people, from the Egyptian in that, that they were in slavery. And hundreds of years later, God warned his people through his prophets that if they chose to break their covenant with him, that he would allow other nations to take them into captivity or slavery again. So we know in the history, the greatest deliverance of God, where God buried the enemies of the Israelites and he crossed them through a miraculous means and which God always points them back to that moment to remind them, I brought you and I delivered you out of so much. Why you want to go back to what I brought you out of? And often in the New Testament, they'll make it into an analogy of what salvation means. God does a great mighty work in bringing us from darkness into light. And sometimes we get into, we remember the life we used to have. And somehow we are deceived in thinking we had a better then. As the Egyptians, I mean, as the Israelites did four months after they came out of Egypt. So as they kept walking with him, Israel then divided into two particular kingdoms or nations. There was the Israel and then there was Judah. Israel comprised of 10 northern, uh, northern tribes and Judah two, uh, two tribes in the south. He warned them repeatedly and repeatedly, but they ignored the warning of God. They rejected him and they worshiped foreign gods. And not only that, they practiced the rituals of the foreign gods. True to his promise, we learn that God sent the Assyrian and the Babylonians to hold the people of God in captivity to chastise them or to teach them a lesson that he is true to what he says. And then in 722 BC, the Assyrians completely defeated the Israelites, that's the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, and they scattered the 10 tribes throughout the empire. 
And centuries later, in 605 BC, the Babylonians captured Judah, the southern kingdom that remained. He warned them again. He warned them, but they didn't take heed to the word of God. And then Cyrus, who is uh, the king of Persia, he began to defeat the Babylonians and God spoke. This is so fascinating. I encourage you to study God's word. It's so deep. In, in, in 538 BC, God uses the Persian empire and, and, and the king that led it at that time was a king named Cyrus to, to defeat the Babylonians and then uh, release the Israelites or the Jewish, the, the, the Jews in the southern kingdom to go back to Jerusalem and build the temple and the house of God again. The Jews returned from Babylon captivity in 538 BC, and the Babylonian Empire was, defi- was defeated by the Persian Empire. And then Cyrus, king of Persia, allowed the exiles to go back to Jerusalem after 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Ezra, who was a priest and a prophet, records the history of the return of the exiled Jews. He reveals to us that Cyrus, the king of Persia's heart, was moved by the Lord through what Jeremiah had prophesied Years, tens of years before the the Persian Empire overtook Babylonian. So Cyrus, someone told him of a prophecy that a king, the Persian king, would arise and he would let he would defeat the Babylonians and he will allow the Jewish people to go back to their land. Not only that, there's also an awareness that Cyrus had of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28 up to chapter 45, verse 5, 150 years before Cyrus ever, ever came into the picture, Isaiah named him. If you read it, he named him, that Cyrus would be lifted up by the Lord to defeat the Babylonians and deliver them from their hand, deliver his people and, get, and send them back to their land. Man, God is a, is a powerful God, isn't he? He keeps his promises. And then we see through Ezra, that 50,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem under the leading of Zerubbabel. After the Jews returned to Jerusalem, they began the rebuilding of the temple two years later in uh, 536 BC. In Ezra chapter 4, we see something fascinating. Firstly, in Ezra chapter 3, before chapter 4, we see that they began rebuilding the temple of the Lord. They laid the foundation, and then they had a party. It was a premature party. They laid the foundation, and they're like, yes, we came back to our land. We're building the house of God. They had music. They had dancing. And the older people that were there, they were crying and weeping because they remembered the former temple that Solomon built and its glory. And they, they had a saddening in their heart. They didn't think that God would rebuild what was before broken because they saw it with their eyes. And then in Ezra chapter 4, something happened. I want to I quickly uh, uh, read, read a particular passage. Before that, I want to mention something here. Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, and the remnant, they, they encountered something when they began to rebuild the temple. So they laid the foundation, and then 
the, the Samaritans, who were the, the enemies of the Jews, they came to them and they said, we want to join you in rebuilding this temple and help you out. And, and, and something happened. Let's read verse 4, Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 to 5. Then the people around them set out to discourage so when they came and they asked them, can we join you, Zerubbabel uh, and, and Joshua the high priest? They said, no, you cannot join us because they saw past their facade that they put on the outside that they want to partner with them. What they really wanted to do was hinder the work of God and, and, and stop them. on the ins- They wanted to do an inside job because they, ha- they were enemies. So when they refused, this is what happened. Then the peoples around them, which is the enemies, set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down to the reign of, king, uh, uh, down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they did this for many years. They began to oppose them, write letters, hire people to stop the work of God. So this opposition led the returned exiles to stop building the temple after they laid the foundation. For the next, listen to me very carefully, for the next 16 years, they did not touch the work of the temple. And then in 520 BC, God sends his prophet Haggai, which we just read before, and then Zechariah two months later to address and rebuke and encourage his people. What they did was they stopped rebuilding the temple for 16 years and they focused on building their own luxurious houses. They then made this, they then made the excuse why they didn't do it sound spiritual by saying it's not the right time to build the temple. That is why, because it's so hard. How often do we mask our excuses with fine-sounding spiritual reasons? Because it got difficult, they faced opposition and they just gave up and wanted to wait for the things to go smoothly or for the opposition to stop before they began to do the work of God. Friends, we must understand. I want you to listen to me very carefully, not just with your natural uh, ears, but with your heart. Friends, you must understand this. This will help you for your life. When we do the work of God, anytime we wait, we arise to do the work of God, we will face opposition because there is an enemy that doesn't want the work of God to progress. You have to understand this, young adults. Nehemiah was living a luxurious life. He was cupbearer to the king, a very high position, a trusted position. He was living large until one day he heard a news. The news that he heard was that his people were suffering because the walls around Jerusalem was broken and the enemies have easy access and they're suffering and humiliated. And when Nehemiah heard the plight of the Jews, he, he cried, he fasted, he prayed, and then God dropped an idea in his spirit. You know, when you seek the face of God, he will lead you and guide you to the purpose to which he wants you to go. But listen to this. Nehemiah is living smoothly, nothing is going bad. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 10, we see something very fascinating. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Toby, the Ammonite officials, they heard about this, 
They heard about Nehemiah rising up to do the work of God by rebuilding the walls that are broken. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Opposition immediately came when Nehemiah made the decision to do what God had put in the heart for the Jewish people. The enemy will fight you when, when you begin to promote the work of God, whatever it may be. Young adults, you have to understand this. The enemy will fight you whenever you arise to do the mission and the work of God. And notice how he always works through others to discourage you. Because he needs a body to work out his plans. As God works through us, Satan works through people. So be weary of the people that are in your life, that are around you, that are discouraging you to do the work of God. That are laughing at the vision and the plan and the mission that you have that God has placed in your heart. Because God works through people and Satan also uses people to bring a hindrance to the work of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse number 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus throughout his ministry, he didn't hide this fact. He said, you follow me, you will be hated. Why? There's an enemy after you. They hate you because they hate me. There's an enemy that doesn't want want us to grow even in our growth, in our faith in Christ. Even living a godly life will bring persecution. Why do we think there is so much battle when it comes to spending time with God? When it comes to coming to church? When it comes to doing the will of God, why do you think things fight us? Why do you think a friend calls us on Sunday morning and say, hey, let's go out here when you have made the decision that morning, I want to go to church to hear the word of God. I want to give, I want to give my time, my, my day, this day to the Lord and hear his word and go to his house. Why do you think things begin to happen and, and you, hear, uh, you hear someone that needs you to do something else? Every time you want to invest in The work of God, whether it's building on your life or whether it's doing something for God, you will face opposition. So God challenges and rebukes them. He said this, so you're okay leaving my house untouched, but you labor hard to build your house? The problem wasn't that they had luxurious houses. God wasn't against that. But they neglected the temple of God and became okay with with it and continued being busy with their lives. They were not moved or bothered in the work of God seizing. We must understand that the temple for the old covenant Jew was the center of God and his people having a relationship to make sacrifices, for them to give their offerings, for them to have worship. The temple was key. It was a central aspect of it. So God was serious when he came to his relationship with his, with his people. Their spiritual life was directly connected to the temple. So 16 years, young adults don't take this lightly, 16 years of their spiritual lives being damaged and they didn't bother them. It didn't bother them at all. It was a priority issue. One commentator pointed out that God said, houses, while you build your houses. So some of them perhaps had more than one house, and yet God's house remained a rubble. So God 
brings this charge to begin with. Let's keep reading. Haggai chapter 1 verse number 5. We'll read up to verse number 9. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that, in, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. God, what he does is he confronts his people. You know, this is the nature of God, that God cannot deal in lie, that God cannot lie. In fact, it says it is impossible for God to lie. He only deals with the truth. Even Jesus always dealt with the truth in his time on earth. That is why the Pharisees hated him, because the Pharisees were respected, they were well-educated, they quoted every scripture that you can mention, they put themselves in an elevated position, they sat on the front seat of the temple, people held them in high esteem, and then in comes Jesus, man full of grace and truth, and he comes to begin to confront them. He begins to be a mirror, not of the external appearance, but of the internal condition. And he says, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. In other, in other words, you seem good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead bones. He said, everything you do is done for people to see. You don't live for my glory. You live for the glory of another. He said, your giving is done for people to see. So you make sure you give where you're seen and you get out your money and you throw it, showing people that you're a giving person. But he said, it's disgusting because I see the inner condition and I'm not fooled by the outer position. They hated him. So God instructs them to give careful thought to their ways. This is also my prayer today. And I've been praying this for the past two, three weeks. And I said, God, wake this generation up. And I'm praying this not for just everyone here, not just for the church, but for myself. My prayer for today is that we sit and we really give careful thought to our ways. That when you lie on your beds today, that you close your eyes, turn off your social media, turn off any distraction and spend time with the Lord and give careful thought to your ways and how you're living. The people lived in frustration, in discontentment and nothing satisfied them. They ate, but they never had enough. They drank, but they were never full. They had clothes, but they were never warm. They earn wages, but it seems like there's a hole in their purse and just doesn't last. It's like I'm working, I'm getting money, but where is it going? I cannot do my accounting. My balance sheet is not working. My accountant cannot help me here. Where is the money gone? Show me the money. And God says to them plainly, I did it. He, he puts his hand up. He said, I did it. Why? Because you neglected my house and you cared only about your own lives. This is so applicable for us today. 
when we devote ourselves to eating, drinking, earning money, clothing, while neglecting our relationship with God, serving Him, and doing the work of His kingdom, using our resources to invest, uh, using our resources to invest in His kingdom, we live in frustration and discontentment. We work, 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 but we don't know where our money went. Caring only for our physical needs while ignoring our relationship with God will ruin you, will ruin us. John Piper, he said this in regards to this very verse. He said, if you spend your time, energy, seeking comfort and security from the world and do not spend yourself for the glory of God, every pleasure will leave its sour aftertaste of depression and guilt and frustration. So God instructed them, go to the mountains, get timber, and build my house. Let's continue. What happened after they heard this message, this rebuke from God? Let's go to verse number 12 to 14. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltal, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord and to the people. I love this. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltal, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. When they heard the word of the Lord, they obeyed the word of the Lord, and they feared the word of the Lord. They were not offended like the religious Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day. They agreed and repented. Then I love what happened next. God said, I am with you. And he stirred the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the people. Now, listen to me very carefully here. That word stirred, when you study it and, 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 and see what it means in the original context, literally means revive. And God revived the spirit of Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, and the remnant that were in Judah at the time. To revive, to bring back that which was dead. Their passion for God's house was revived. Their priorities for God's house was revived. Their zeal for God's house was revived. Whatever died in them in those 16 years of leaving the work of God untouched was revived. The Bible says, then they came and began to do the work of God. Haggai chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. Almost done. Actually, don't believe a preacher when he says that. Who of you, this is what happened. So they began to do the work of God. And then a message came again through the prophet Haggai to the people. Who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? So God is asking the older people that were there that saw the older temple. He said, who are you? Who, who's here among you that saw the former temple in its glory? How does, how, how does it look to you now? So picture this. The foundation is laid. There's probably a lot of 
a lot of dust, a lot of things that have grown over the 16 years on top of it. So Zerubbabel, the people, they come there, they're like, ooh. <laughs> so they've got the passion, they've got the zeal, but they're like, man, there's a lot of work. It's not easy work. There's a lot of things that's ahead of us. And, and he's saying, who of you among here saw the former temple? And now, what's before you? He's saying, compare it. It's like, God, are you trying to discourage us even more? Then he said this. Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong. Anytime God repeats something, take careful attention. The message there is be strong. All of you people of the land, declares the Lord, and I love this, and work, and work. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Because what happened is, as soon as they started the work of God again, guess what happened? What normally happens when we do the work and the agenda of God? Opposition will come. So those people that were discouraging them for 16 years, when they saw them having zeal and passion for the house of God again, opposition came again. So they're looking at it. The work is a lot. They remember the former glory of Solomon's temple, and they're saying, are we ever going to build such a glorious temple as that? And they're discouraged. Probably the older people there are saying, you'll never build it like that. I don't know what they're saying. But God is saying, I know this project that's ahead of you seems, very, seems like nothing. But he says, but now, don't focus there. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. Be strong for I am with you. So God, this time, encourages them to be strong. It's a bit similar to what God said to Joshua, the other Joshua, who took over the work that Moses left. Moses died. Joshua is young. He's seen the leadership of Moses. He's seen what church leadership is. <laughs> And, and he said, man, there's a lot of work ahead of me. And God says, be strong, Joshua. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Focus on the mission that's ahead of you. Be strong, Joshua. I am with you. If you pay attention to my instruction, you'll be successful in everything that you do. Don't be discouraged of the work that's ahead of you. I will give you a new spirit, and I will lead you, and I will guide you. It's like they began the work. They've got passion. And then they began to do it, and opposition came. They're like, man, the 16 years was hassle-free. Like, we're undisturbed. Yes, there was discontentment, but we didn't have opposition. You know, the enemy is comfortable with us building our own house and our kingdom and focusing here. He doesn't mind us doing that. But the moment you have zeal and passion to do the work of God, you will face opposition. But I want you to remember, the enemy doesn't want us to do the work of God. God said to them, do not fear, I am with you. Zechariah comes two months later. You can read the book of Zechariah. Read especially chapter 3 and chapter 4. That's your homework. Read chapter 3 and chapter 4. Two months later, Zechariah comes and he says to Joshua, the high priest, because in this vision, Zechariah, the prophet, sees, he sees Joshua. This Joshua, the high priest, his job was to serve in the temple. But for 16 years, that means he didn't do his job because there was no, no temple. So imagine the guilt 
of not doing the call that he's called to do. Imagine him waking up every day knowing that he's called for something, knowing that he's called to do the work of God, but not being able to do it because there's no temple for him to serve in. So what happened in this vision, Zechariah sees Satan standing next to Joshua the high priest. And, and Satan is accusing Joshua. And, and Joshua is dressed in, in filthy clothes. He's stained with sin. The guilt, the condemnation. Remember, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's condemning him. He's making him feel, feel guilty about leaving the work of God for that long. And he's finding it hard. How am I going to serve God? Because a, a, a priest has to be clean. A priest has to be righteous. And he's probably thinking that and a message comes to him. In that vision, Zechariah sees the angel come. Number one, he, the Lord rebuked Satan. And he said, be quiet. He said, he is a man that I snatched out of the fire. Hallelujah. Every single one of us have been snatched out of the enemy's hand by the blood of Jesus. So he said, firstly, devil, shut up. <laughs> Basically, that's what God said. Devil, shut up. He's my, he was my chosen instrument. Guess what? He's still my chosen instrument. God doesn't change up his mind. I change my mind. You change your mind. But God, baby, never changes his mind. He said, I chose him and I called him before. Guess what? I still chose him and I called him now. And he said, shut up. He said, all right. But how about the clothes, the stains that I'm on? God said, an angel came. He removed the stain and he clothed him with new clothing, with God's righteousness. I restored your righteousness. And then the priest had a turban on their head. He covered his, his head with the turban, which resembles for me what I interpret that to be is a new mind. So God dealt with that. And then in chapter 4, a new message came to, from, uh, from Zechariah to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor. And he's looking at the work and he's like, man, <laughs> how am I going to do this? It's so tiring even just thinking about it. Do you know what the message comes through the prophet Zechariah? He sees a lampstand in the temple of God. And in the lampstand, there's seven candles. And, and that's in the holy place in the temple of God. And the priest, what the priest will do is that they would go and they would maintain with the purest olive oil, they will maintain so that light, because God instructed light has to always be in my temple. So, so the light does not go out, they would make sure it's always refilled. It's a tedious work. It's a tiring work. And they had to clean the, 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 the top of the candle so it's always burning. And do you know what Zechariah sees in a vision? He sees the seven lampstand, the candle. And he sees an olive tree planted on the right and on the left of the candle. And seven tubes coming out of the tree, seven pipes connecting to every single candle. <laughs> and then he said, he said to him, check it out quickly, Zechariah chapter 4. And then he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So the message is very clear. The tedious work, the hard work that's in front of you, Zerubbabel, I'm going to supply you with everything that you need to do the work. I will give you an unending supply of my spirit. It's not going to be done by your work. It's not about how clever you are. It's not about the degree you have. It's not about the cleverness. It's not about your workings. I will do this through you, my child. All you need to do is get up. Don't rely on your strength. Don't look, to, don't look within yourself. Fix your eyes on me. And God encouraged them through Zechariah and Haggaiah. Do you know what happened? In four years, they completed the work 
and the rebuilding of the temple. And it was only when Jesus came, he went to the temple that Zerubbabel built. And it was only as Jesus prophesied that 70 years later, the temple was destroyed again. Because the new temple now, God does not dwell in temple built by human hands. In the old covenant, it was an imagery of God's real desire to be us, to be his temple. So church, my heart is that God revives us today to build his kingdom. Remember, we are a church. This is the vision of the church, if you're not aware. Revive Church is a church of influence called to rebuild, repair, and restore a broken generation. I want this vision to be imprinted in your heart, knowing that God has a bigger purpose than just building things that remain here, but that God will revive whatever dead passion that is in you, whatever you've neglected, that God will will, will stir up your spirit, he will give life to it again, and that you'll have the zeal and the passion to do the work of God. My prayer is that we put our priorities right and that we obey God and build his kingdom. Number one, by focusing on our relationship with him above all else. It's similar to what Jesus said. He said, what, you're going to eat, drink, all that? He said, I'm going to add that. I've got you. I've got your back. But he said, put my kingdom and my righteousness first. Seek that and I'll add these things. And how do we build the kingdom of God? By serving him with what is in our hand. I want to quickly read for you that. I promise you this is my last story. I've got no other thing. Okay, I want to read for you this. Uh, it's a story that one of the staff members of Desiring God Ministries, which is John Piper's ministry, they wrote. And I want to read it for you because it touched my heart. Olive Nelson passed away a few days ago at the age of 94. As I remember her, my heart was filled with gratitude. Olive and her husband, Arnie, who passed away a few years ago, were members of Bethlehem Baptist Church for decades. From 1978 to 1994, Arnie and Olive faithfully operated Bethlehem's tape ministry as volunteers. It was a labor of love. Arnie would come to church every week to duplicate tapes from the previous Sunday. I can still see him walking to the little room in the back of the old sanctuary that that housed a tape duplicator about 16 years of original sermon tapes carefully organized in cardboard in cardboard boxes this is before mp3 and all these gadgets that we have today he was a tall and slim and dignified and hard head and had a head of thick silver hair he was soft-spoken i loved to listen to him olive was bright assertive and organized Her administrative skills made the tape ministry hum. Every week, she manually taped every tape label for 150 to 200 tapes. And she and Annie would label each tape by hand. For the tape subscription service, service, she would also hand type all the mailing labels. And the two of them would package the mail tapes to people around the world often including a personal note to the recipient. Olive's database was a, was a black three-ring notebook where she had meticulously hand-recovered every transaction for every person. We still have it. When Annie and Olive decided to retire from the tape ministry in 1994, that's after 16 years, it prompted John, John Piper, to stop in my office and say, we need to do something about the tape ministry. I'd like you to make it happen. 
Desiring God, as we know it now, sprang up out of that instruction. Desiring God, if you type it in in, in your Google browser, it's, it has hundreds of thousands of resources. <laughs> but Arnie and Olive are also founders of DG. That's Desiring God. We expanded what they began. The tens of thousands of John's sermons that are now listened to every Every month on the internet or CDs grew out of Nelson's tape ministry. And had they not carefully cataloged and preserved all of John's sermons and tapes for 14 years, desiring God's online audio library might be half its size. But I don't think Annie and Olive ever imagined that something like desiring God would result from the tape ministry. They just labored quietly and diligently because their Lord had given them a stewardship and because they loved their church family and because they wanted missionaries and others to hear the sermons. But God intended to do more with their labors than they pursue. Wow, isn't that powerful? The reason why I read this story is I don't want you to think anything that you do for the Lord is insignificant. They're in the back of the church no one sees them for 16 years faithfully doing this. Me, you know, you don't get clapped. They're not on the stage. They're not like me, seen every time. They're not like the musicians, seen every time. But they're faithfully. Why? They're not serving people. They're serving God. I'm going to teach you this in the future. But whatever we do, we don't do it for people. We don't do it for the church. We do it unto the Lord. Amen? And my prayer, my heart, is that God will stir something inside of us that would wake up that you would gather when you have coffee together. You're not just talking about the weather and just different things, but you're saying, how can we spread the gospel? Come on, why don't we get like $10 each? Let's go to the city and let's begin to, to talk to homeless people and meet their needs and show them the love of God. What Annie, and, what Annie and Olive did was they saw that this is not something light because it was something that God entrusted them. So my friends, church, my prayer, my plea for all of us. What has God placed in your hand? What is the thing that God has placed in your hand? Are you doing the work of God in your life? Are you being his ambassador in your workplace, in your family? Or have you neglected his work? My prayer is that something may be stirred up in our hearts, that we may arise and do the work because God is with us. And we will accomplish no matter what opposition. This nation, this city, I declare it in the name of Jesus, belongs to Jesus. I declare that the gospel will spread. I declare in the name of Jesus by faith that when we arise and shine and do the work of God, that every seat will not only be filled, we'll have three services just to meet the needs of this church and that will force us to go to another place and, and it will force us to build more disciples and I don't even mind, raise up new pastors here, raise up teachers here, raise up people who are called into full-time ministry or raise up people that are doing business, whatever it is, and let's do the work of God. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for giving me the strength, for giving me the ability to share your word. I pray for every single one of us. Lord, that we would be investors of your kingdom. Lord, 
I don't know what people are going through in this room. I may know some of their stories, but I don't know a lot of them, Lord. I don't know what they're facing at the moment. I don't know the oppositions that, 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 that is challenging them in their life, but you know. And I know that your word is speaking to every single one of us today. Lord, as you sent your word to them, you sent your word to us today. Your timeless word. Your word that, that crosses centuries and, bound, and goes past any boundaries that man put up, Lord. Your word, Lord. As they received it, may we receive your word. May we receive your instruction, Lord. May we take heed to this instruction, Lord. May we repent and turn, Lord. May we begin to do your work with a, with, a, with a cheerful heart, Lord, knowing that serving you is the best thing that we can do on this earth, Lord, knowing that one day we're gonna be accountable for the stewardship that you've placed in our hands, for the resources that we have, for the relationships that we have, for how we represent you on this earth, Lord. One day, my, our past is not gonna stand next to us. Our loved ones are not gonna stand next to us. There's not gonna be any witnesses there. It's only you and me, God. It's only you and every individual, Lord, and we must give an account of what you have placed in our hand, Lord. Lord, may we not neglect your work. May we not neglect spending time with you at the expense of laboring in, in jobs and after jobs and after jobs and after jobs, Lord, while we neglect spending even 10 minutes in your presence, Lord. Oh, give us wisdom, God. May we not tire and labor for this world at the expense of neglecting Spend time spent in your presence. Teach us how to prioritize you in our life. Teach us how to make you the greatest treasure of our hearts. Teach us and give us ideas and inspire us, Lord, with how we can expand your kingdom in this nation. Lord, because the poorest person on earth is the person that doesn't have you. And I pray that we work tirelessly to preach this gospel. And as we do, Strengthen us as you strengthened Zerubbabel, as you encouraged them, as you supplied them with power, as you supplied them with encouragement out of the discouragement that the enemy brought along them, Lord. The enemy was accusing them, the enemy was condemning them, but you lifted them up, Lord. You removed the shame, you removed the guilt, and you said, Get up, my child, and do the work, Lord. I pray for the discouraged in this room. I pray for those who are condemned in this room. I pray for those who are listening to the accusations of the enemy, Lord, that we will know that the Lord will rebuke the enemy, Lord, and that we will know that you've clothed us with righteousness. Lord, your word says to not dwell on the former things, but to take hold of the new thing that you want to do in us. I pray that today we make the decision to follow you with all our hearts. Lord, stir our hearts throughout this week. Revive whatever is dead inside of us. Whatever we've abandoned, revive it, resurrect it. Bring life to it again, Lord. Bring life to the gifts that we have that we once laid for you, Lord. But now we've been discouraged out of opposition and out of life's challenges. We've left it aside. Help us to pick it up again, Lord. I thank you for this word, Lord. And I pray that you use it to heal many people, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. Can I just...